Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone uh, had a good and restful weekend. Maybe you unplugged a little bit and haven't been following uh, the very stressful news that has been coming out in an hourly basis today. Uh, we are going to get into some of that. We're going to analyze once again what happened last week with storming the Capitol. We're going to talk about some of the narratives surrounding that. So we're going to talk about this claim of uh, this was a white supremacist in- insurrection or this was evidence of white privilege, uh, that these people were actually able to effectively storm the Capitol and get inside the Capitol. We're also going to talk about the potential of impeachment and what that actually means. And then we're going to end the episode with something that I hope is encouraging, edifying, and equipping for you guys, which is trying to answer the question in light of scripture, what do we do in the midst of all of this chaos, especially in light also of the tax censorship that has been going on? That's a subject that we're going to tackle in depth tomorrow. It's a huge subject and it would, again, stretch this episode to an hour or an hour and a half. So we'll talk about tech censorship tomorrow. But at the end of the episode, we'll try to answer this question. All right, how am I supposed to look at this? And and what are my action items uh, in the perspective or through the perspective of God's word? So that's what we are going to cover today. Okay, so you guys know last Tuesday, Trump supporters uh, held a rally together while while Trump spoke for over an hour, and then they walked to the Capitol, mostly peacefully, but then a couple hundred people actually broke into the Capitol. Uh, And here's what happened right before they marched from the rally where Donald Trump was speaking um, and uh, then moved over to the Capitol. And we're going to the Capitol And we're going to try and give, the Democrats are hopeless, they're never voting for anything. We're going to try and give our Republicans, the weak ones, because the strong ones don't need any of our help. We're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. So Trump did play a part in this. I keep hearing that I am scapegoating Donald Trump, that I'm putting too much on his shoulders, that it had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Look, I don't think this had everything to do with Donald Trump. I don't think Donald Trump is the only... Uh, the only person or the only thing at play here, the only factor playing into this. But of course, he did have a part in it. And not just what he said for that hour-long speech, but what he has been saying for the past two months. As I've said, I think it's important to expose voter fraud where we think it exists. I think the legal fights are important. I, I support that. I don't think that we should just look away and pretend that irregularities didn't happen or that states like Pennsylvania didn't follow election law. But the way that Trump has been intentional riling people up and actually in at least implicitly encouraging people not to vote in Georgia, of course, uh, had some kind of effect on people's attitudes. Now, I also think that it is a very slippery slope to say that a president talking about voter fraud or holding a rally where he doesn't explicitly call anyone to violence or anyone to a riot or chaos uh, saying that that is inciting violence, then that means a lot of different kind of speech could be considered inciting violence. And I don't think that we want to lower the standard that much, 
even when it comes to the president of the United States. Now, some people, when I talk about the riots, when I talk about the storming of the Capitol, say, you know, there was no violence. I'm talking about Trump supporters. They say this this wasn't violent at all. Capitol Police just let these people in. That's a false narrative. Well, that's not true. I'll show you this clip of a crowd of Trump supporters trying to trample the police in front of the Capitol. I mean, that is terrifying. Can you imagine what law enforcement felt who were on the front lines of that? Uh, There's actually another part of the clip that we didn't play there, but there is a police officer yelling. You can tell out of desperation, feeling like he is going to be trampled or feeling like he is going to have his head smashed in the door. That is terrifying. And so for people to tell me that there was no violence, there was no coercion by these Trump supporters, you're denying reality. We have video footage of it. It's the same way that when we saw Antifa and BLM riding over the summer and you just kept hearing people say these are peaceful protests, these are mostly peaceful protests. I mean, it became a meme that CNN reporter standing in front of Kenosha, flames all around him, parts of the town being burned to the ground and the Chiron on CNN saying mostly peaceful, but um, it was like mostly peaceful, but burning protests, something ridiculous and just seemingly, you know, paradoxical like that. That's just as ridiculous for Trump supporters who are in support of what happened at the Capitol to say there was no violence. This is violence. And that's just one example of the violence. Now, I will say that there were other clips of people just walking into the Capitol and Capitol Police standing by and doing nothing. I'll show you that clip. Okay, so that's weird. I mean, maybe those police officers thought these people are peaceful. This is the people's house. They can just come in here. There seems that there should have been better discernment. There should have been better leadership there, the people who were walking in at that moment didn't seem like they were violent or that they were trying to cause a riot. But maybe there should have been some deductive reasoning going on with the Capitol Police Force in that particular case to say, OK, you know what? This probably isn't the best idea. Tensions are really high. We know that they're trying to verify the results of the election. and that These people are probably unhappy because they're Trump supporters and their guy lost. There probably could have been some reasoning there for Capitol Police in those cases to say we're probably not going to let people in. And they did in some cases. But also for the people saying, oh, my gosh, Capitol Police did nothing. Law enforcement did nothing. They just let everyone in. Well, that's not true, too, because you just saw that clip. Uh, Here are people walking out of the Capitol after, you know, everything happened and they were basically kicked out by law enforcement saying uh, next time this is not going to be peaceful. Oh, 
All right. Uh, So we've seen a few clips now where the people who are trying to infiltrate the Capitol, people who are trying to get inside, uh, not only were not peaceful, but saying that next time they're even going to be less peaceful. And you can see where this is coming from. Like if you truly believe the entire election has been stolen from you and that you are completely disenfranchised and that no one is is listening to you, if you've been told that over and over again and that Congress is, is doing nothing on your behalf, then you might be, if you are of that uh, proclivity anyway, um, if your anger is easily riled up anyway, you could see how that would quickly lead to people uh, acting, behaving, and speaking in this way. The fact of the matter is, as we talked about last week, if this hadn't have happened, if they hadn't stormed the Capitol, you would have actually been able to hear the case laid out for election fraud from senators like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. Now, People are saying that Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, that they actually caused this, what they're calling an insurrection, that they're to blame for violence. I think that is completely ridiculous. We're going to get into in just a minute Democratic lawmakers whose rhetoric could be, if you use the same standard, said to have incited violence. And so it's not a fair standard. Simon and Schuster saying, OK, we're no longer going to have a book deal uh, with Josh Hawley. Sure, they are free to do that as a company. But should they do that? In in my opinion, no. They were uh, they were fulfilling their duty as the representatives of some people in their state to use lawful, peaceful, rhetorical means to lay out their case of election fraud. Now, you might not agree with what they were going to say. As I've said on this podcast, I actually uh, was partial to Tom Cotton's argument and to Chip Roy's argument that says, you know what, that's not really our role as representatives and senators to try to defy the will of the electors. Um, I'm partial to that argument. I think they lay out a good case. And I wasn't really on board with Holly and Cruz. Nevertheless, it is their right to do that. And to say that doing something lawfully, speaking in a, a way that was meant to convince fellow lawmakers that fraud actually occurred in the election in a way that could have changed the outcome of the presidential election uh, was completely in their rights and in no way directly incited any kind of violence, either implicitly or explicitly. So I think holding them to that standard again sets a really scary precedent for people on both sides of the aisle. Now, Some people are saying that this was Antifa infiltrating, that this had nothing to do with Trump supporters, that actually there were buses of Antifa and Black Lives Matter supporters that actually dressed up as MAGA people and they just wanted to make, uh, you know, Trump supporters look bad. Washington Times reported that a software company found that two Antifa BLM supporters were among the crowd. But as I talked about last week, I, I didn't really see the... Uh, validity or the veracity of that story. There was no proof provided of that. Um, And that software company actually told uh, BuzzFeed that that's not true. Uh, Like I said last week, the idea that this was Antifa or BLM and not predominantly Trump supporters, and the reason I say predominantly is because is there a possibility 
that Antifa or someone on the left infiltrated and decided, okay, you know what? I just want to cause chaos. I want to go scorched earth too. Of course, there's a possibility. There are people on the far left and the far right who share common cause and wanting to see the country destroyed, wanting to start over and to build, you know, their vision of what they think is a good country. So of course, it's possible that there were left-wing people there. But from the videos that we see, from the testimonies that we hear, Uh, From the support from Trump supporters of this storming of the Capitol that I see on the Internet, I see no indication that this was some big uh, Antifa infiltration and insurrection. I just don't see proof. Uh, proof of that. And this is not Black Lives Matter because, as you can see from the videos, uh, this is mostly white people and they don't look like Antifa either. Also, a huge number of Trump supporters, like I said, I have seen online defending this. You would think if this wasn't Trump supporters at all, there wouldn't be Trump supporters online saying that this was fine. Um, Again, like I said last week, this is very similar to Joy Reid on MSNBC peddling the conspiracy theory over the summer and last year that all of the violence and the arson that we saw, uh, that we continue to see in places like Portland, Seattle, Kenosha, Minneapolis, et cetera, were all just right-wingers dressing up as Antifa and uh, BLM. That is a conspiracy theory. Uh, Anecdotes about uh, the large Antifa infiltration, uh, I just don't think amount to anything real. I think that's also a conspiracy theory. Um, This has invited some criticism from some interesting international characters who are looking at the unrest of the United States and saying, wow, that's really bad. They no longer have uh, any moral standing to criticize the rest of the world and to, you know, slap sanctions on countries who aren't doing what they want us to do. Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela, the vicious socialist dictator that has precipitated the starvation of its people and has jailed and killed political dissidents. Um, He tweeted on Sunday, I share the video that an individual disguised as a buffalo recorded making comments against Venezuela made before he violently entered the U.S. Capitol. This shows us the madness of racism, extremism, and supremacism. Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela, I don't want to hear from you. I do not care what you have to say. One of the most wicked dictators. This is all this is, by the way, because uh, it's not just him. It's also uh, it's also the leader of Iran. It's also the leader of Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's also Russian leadership. It's also Chinese leadership. They're all saying the same thing. They're saying, wow, this is really bad. America is really racist. It's really unstable. It's really extremist. And you see people on the left saying, wow, even these dictators get it. Even these totalitarian monsters understand how terrible Donald Trump and how terrible Trump supporters and how terrible America is. Give me a break. Like this is the same anti-American propaganda that these regimes have been peddling for decades and for Russia, literally a century. This is just propaganda to them. They're using it as a way to distract from the atrocities that they perpetuate that most Americans can't even imagine 
this is this should be scoffed at. Whether you are on the left or the right, you should scoff at these leaders. They are not worried about racism and extremism in America. They are not worried about the dangers of Trump supporters or the dangers of Donald Trump. It is all a farce. It is propaganda that has been perpetuated for decades against America. That communist, that leftist regimes have been pushing about anti, uh, about uh, they would call it capitalist imperialism, or they would call it uh, evil Americanism or American chauvinism. That is propaganda that has been repeated and reiterated by people on the left in the United States that really doesn't have a founding in reality. That's not to say that there isn't any fair criticism to be leveled against the United States, especially right now. But for these people to think they have any moral standing whatsoever after perpetuating the kinds of atrocities that has America has never perpetuated. Uh, and, I, and I mean that, like the things that are happening in the countries that these leaders criticizing the United States are leading uh, has never happened in the United States, even with the horrible injustice that uh, injustices that have been perpetuated here. So it's just hypocrisy. If you are on the left or the right, you should roll your eyes and you should say, sorry, we're not listening to the leader of Zimbabwe, who is even more cruel than his predecessor, uh, Robert Mugabe, who again has dragged his country into poverty, who has allowed genocide, who jails dissidents, who executes people who are uh, Uh, Not even who break the law, but just who speak out against him, who incite mob violence constantly like you have no right as a leader of those countries to criticize the United States. This is just a way for them to peddle propaganda. Please do not fall for it. Don't fall for it. What is happening in the United States is shameful. It is really bad. Um, It is embarrassing in so many ways. It is unstable. And yes, of course, our enemies are going to look in and are going to say, wow, that is that's really shameful and that's really bad. But people who have never allowed freedom in their own countries do not do not have uh, do not have the right to look at the United States of America, which has been carrying the torch of liberty almost exclusively our entire existence and say that we are uh, we are no longer uh, morally able to point fingers at them. It's just hypocrisy and we should all scoff at it. Uh, now, there are articles of impeachment being filed in the House. According to CNN, the U.S. House of Representatives has released its resolution to impeach President Donald Trump, charging him with incitement of insurrection, an article for which the House is expected to vote on this week. So the question is, is this going to happen? And if it does happen, is it going to help anything? What does it actually accomplish since Joe Biden is about to be uh, inaugurated? Well, Senate is not in session right now. So for the Senate to vote on this, which is now um, going to be, I mean, it's it's 50-50. And so it would actually depend if, if it falls along partisan lines, which it might not be. There are probably some Republicans in the Senate who would vote to impeach Donald Trump. But if it did fall along partisan lines, um, we would have to see how that would actually play play out. Um, This would happen if the Senate actually did vote on it. This would happen about 24 hours before Biden is inaugurated. So you might be asking, what would be the point of uh, of impeaching Donald Trump? He would be stripped of some presidential uh, privileges and he also wouldn't be able to run again. 
in 2024. And so, and also I think that they are trying to make the argument that this just, you know, it pushes back against Donald Trump. It makes a statement against Donald Trump. It denounces Donald Trump, which a lot of people in Congress think is necessary. Now, is it actually going to help things? I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference either way, except that it does stop him, like I said, from running in 2024, which um, a lot of people left and right might be uh, might be happy about. But people are also saying this, you know, is counterproductive. If your goal is to unify and heal, as Biden says it is, it is not going to accomplish that. He is going to be out in just a couple weeks. There's no point of impeachment. So those are the two sides to that. And I also think that there is a slippery slope uh, argument to be made, like a true slippery slope, not just the fallacy um, to be said that, OK, if what you're saying, uh, Donald Trump, if, if what you're saying um, is inciting violence, uh, that Donald Trump has tweeted about election fraud for the past two months, that uh, he held a rally saying, you know, we're going to walk to the Capitol and we're going to, you know, basically tell them who's boss. They stole this election from us. If that amounts to what they are saying is incitement of insurrection and is impeachable, like you can probably see how slippery of a slope that is. He didn't explicitly call for violence. Um, He, I guess you could say maybe he implicitly inspired violence, but then the, the waters are really muddy, like the line is really blurry. And so uh, how do we judge that kind of rhetoric going forward? So if uh, any people on the left cause violence and they say it's because it's something that Biden said, is that then impeachable? Like, how do we actually determine the correlation and causation between someone's words who didn't explicitly call for violence and something that actually happened that is violent? I think that's very difficult. And I think for the sake of free speech, we need to make sure that the definition of incitement of insurrection is very narrow and very specific. And that is to protect presidents both on the left and the right, because you could see both parties weaponizing this against politicians and presidents um, that they just don't like, who say things that they disagree with. You can always try to make a correlation causation argument between what someone says and then what someone else does. But it should be a very difficult and a very specific and narrow uh, case to make. And I'm going to talk about some of the hypocrisy and that that we are seeing from Democrats in just a second. We're going to answer the question Um, we're going to answer the question, was this white supremacy, was this white privilege, and compare uh, the things that the Democrats have said about other riots and violence that have gone on in the country for the past few months, and then what they are saying right now. But first, we're going to take a quick break. All right, quick ad break to tell you guys about Built Bar. So if you've got a New Year's resolution that you're trying to just eat healthy, you're not necessarily trying to lose weight, but maybe you're trying to replace some unhealthy snacks with a healthier snack, then Built Bar is a really great alternative for you, especially if you're doing something uh, like keto. I did that at one point. I am not doing that right now, but I know a lot of people who do it and who have found it really effective. Well, these are very keto-friendly bars because you're looking at 110 to 160 calories, 60 to 
20 grams of protein, three to five net carbs, and it also tastes really good. And I can attest to that. Um, all 18 flavors are chocolate flavors. They're covered in real chocolate. The texture is really good. You've got like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, coconut almond. And so if you're looking to satisfy that sweet tooth in a way um, that is healthier than some alternatives, then Built Bar is a really great choice for you. And if you go to builtbar.com, you use promo code RELATABLE, you get 20% off your next order. So that is builtbar.com. Use promo code RELATABLE, 20% off your next order. Again, promo code RELATABLE at builtbar.com for 20% off your next order. All right, let's talk about this claim of white supremacy and uh, white privilege surrounding this. There were several articles, cable news segments, Instagram posts claiming the reason that these people were able to get into the Capitol is because of white privilege. Uh, Here is what Biden and Harris had to say about this. Biden tweeted, no one can tell me that if it had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesters yesterday, that they wouldn't have been treated very differently than the mob that stormed the Capitol. We all know that's true and it's unacceptable. That tweet had like 550,000 likes, by the way. Uh, This is the same kind of rhetoric that we heard from uh, Barack Obama. And uh, people always said, you know, Barack Obama was so unifying. He brought us together. He never used the kind of divisive rhetoric uh, that Donald Trump did. Donald Trump is a lot more obvious with his rhetoric, and in particular, his divisive rhetoric. His tweets have played a part in that. But um, Barack Obama was very subtle with his division. He was very subtle with what I would call his race baiting and trying to uh, divide people, not just by race, but also by class and by political party. He would say that he's bringing people together, but in every chance, every chance that he got, he would slam the other side. He would condescend the other side as just being, you know, gun grabbers and, 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 and Bible clingers and things like that. So that's what we can expect from Joe Biden saying that he is going to bring unity and healing and then trying to make racial divisions like this, which is only going to disintegrate us further. Here's what Kamala Harris said in a statement. We witnessed two systems of justice when we saw one that led extremists toward in the United States Capitol and another that released tear gas on peaceful protesters last summer. We know this is unacceptable. We know we should be better than this. The thing is, none of this is true. None of this is actually true. It makes matters worse because none of it is true. Remember, Minneapolis, Kenosha, Portland, Seattle, there were arson, riots, assault, almost completely unchecked. We talked about it a lot on this podcast. There were a lot of people arrested, but most were released immediately and very few were actually prosecuted. There's a New York Times article uh, that was released in November. Why charges against protesters are being dismissed by the thousands. Here's what the article says, quote, Prosecutors called the scale of both the mass arrests and mass dismissals within a few short months unrivaled, at least since the civil rights protests of the early 1960s. With the police detaining hundreds of people in major cities, the the arrests this year ended up colliding with the limitations of the court system. In the aftermath, prosecutors declined to pursue many of the cases because they concluded that the protesters were exercising their basic civil rights. Cases involving free speech or free assembly rarely succeed in court, according to prosecutors across the country, and the coronavirus pandemic also played a role in the decision. And yet, the article goes on to say, 
Most charges and almost 300 federal protest cases involve arson or assaulting police officers, as do the state and municipal cases. And yet most of those charges were dropped. Uh, Kamala Harris even tweeted this a few months ago when Minneapolis was burning. If you're able to chip in now to the Emin Freedom Fund to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota, peaceful protesters, um, unless there was some rare exception, which I would speak out against, were, were not arrested in Minnesota or in these cities. Again, if that does happen, I am against that because I will always fight for people's right to peacefully protest, whether or not I believe in the premise of their protest. But the people, for the most part, who were getting arrested and who were charged in these cases, who eventually, again, were not prosecuted, were people who were setting fire to buildings. Uh, There was a car shop in Minneapolis that was set fire. A man was inside and he was burned alive. He died because of that. And Kamala Harris, the now vice president-elect of the United States, was tweeting shamelessly, about donating to the Freedom Fund that would help post bail for these people who were setting these fires and ruining people's lives and livelihoods in Minneapolis. Uh, Most people have not received any kind of punishment for burning federal buildings or private businesses. We're talking billions of dollars in damage. Someone pushed back on me about that. It's about $2 billion in damage in Minneapolis alone that occurred in the riots over the summer. I mean, not to mention the rest of the cities that endured this kind of stuff. We're talking about people's businesses, their livelihoods ruined, uh, people who need services in these cities unable to access them. It is always the most vulnerable that are hurt by this kind of Kind of stuff. According to The Guardian, at least 25 Americans were killed in connection with protests and riots last year. All but one was killed by a fellow citizen. The only person who was killed by the police in all of uh, the riots and the protests that happened in several cities across the country last year, most or uh, not most, many of them uh, violent, was a white guy who called himself 100% Antifa, who shot a Trump supporter in cold blood in Portland. According to the Justice Department, 700 law enforcement officers sustained injuries. And let's not forget about David Dorn, the police chief who was black, murdered by BLM looters in St. Louis. Antonio Mays, 16-year-old boy who was black, shot and killed in CHOP, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, uh, that the governor uh, and the the Seattle government and police just allowed to exist with impunity until this poor young man was murdered. Sequoia Turner, an 8-year-old girl who was black, murdered by Black Lives Matter rioters after Rayshard Brooks was shot and killed in Atlanta, a man who was armed, by the way, with a taser. Uh, Here is her mom after she was uh, murdered as they're trying to find the suspect. Help me. Help my baby. She was only eight years old. Right now he's with 30 minutes after the six. She would have been on TikTok dancing in her phone. Just got finished eating. We understand the frustration of racial roots. We understand. We ain't got nothing to do with it. We innocent. We didn't mean no harm. My baby didn't mean no harm. She was shot in the back of her car in a parking lot. Like, her parents didn't take her to this riot. Her mom was driving. She was in the car trying to turn around as they were getting somewhere. And Black Lives Matter rioters who were rioting and uh, demonstrating, protesting, if you want to use more generous terms, because of Rayshard Brooks, again, an armed man that was shot and killed by the police, reached into their car 
and shot this eight-year-old girl point blank and killed her. Uh, this is not whataboutism. I'm not trying to say that this in any way minimizes or excuses what happened at the Capitol. I think what happened at the Capitol was absolutely egregious and that the people there should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I'm just trying to say that let us not, because what happened at the Capitol is egregious, forget about what happened in the lives that were lost over the past few months and the Democrats, including Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, that did nothing about it, that said nothing about it specifically, never called out this violence by name. Maybe some uh, vague platitudes about, oh, we don't want violence, but I always think specificity and naming names is important, and Democrats fail to do that time and again. So who is on the line is my question for these lives that were lost. Like, whose rhetoric do we blame for those for those lives being lost? Who's, whose rhetoric do we blame for that violence? Who gets thrown off Twitter for that? Is Black Lives Matter held accountable for that? Are they charged with inciting violence? And what about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, who tweeted this a few months ago? Quote, protests are supposed to make people feel uncomfortable. This is in the midst of people being murdered by rioters. Or Ayanna Presley, uh, who said on MSNBC, there will be, quote, unrest in the streets as long as there is unrest in our lives. These are after these people have been murdered by rioters. What about all the MSNBC commentators saying riots are just the voice of the unheard? Chris Cuomo on CNN, we played the clip last week asking, uh, who says protests are supposed to be peaceful? What about the Democratic mayors and the governors who allowed this to happen, who, who allowed CHOP in Seattle uh, to, to, uh, to flourish and to grow with impunity until someone was murdered? Like, do we hold the Democratic Party on the line for that? Did Kamala Harris visit Sequoia Turner's family? The way that she visited Jacob Blake, the man who was armed with a knife? At his ex-girlfriend's house uh, where he was violating his restraining order that was issued because he had sexually assaulted her in front of her kids. Are we saying her name or David Dorn's or Antonio Mays's name? Are their names being uh, worn on NFL players' helmets? Why not? Ask yourself that. Why not? Because it's a farce. It's a farce. BLM and its related causes have raked in $10 billion, according to The Economist, in donations since May. And reportedly, its chapters across the country have seen none of that money. They are lining their pockets. Uh, the city of Detroit is suing Black Lives Matter for civil conspiracy, not just because of property damage and disturbing the peace for rioting um, uh, while rioting, but also uh, for allegedly purposely issuing false statements about police officers in the city. I just want to know who in the media, on social media, in Congress, in the Black Lives Matter organization, in their leadership, gets held accountable for that damage and that violence and those lives lost. Uh, the stories and Biden and Harris, soon to be our president and vice president, their statements about Black Lives Matter being treated more harshly than Capitol rioters, rioters does not tell the whole story. And therefore... It is divisive. It is unnecessary. Uh, there are also people comparing certain pictures of Trump supporters getting through the Capitol that we showed already with pictures like this, uh, pictures of the National Guard standing ready for the Black Lives Matter protest that happened uh, in June there in D.C., but anyone can take one picture, compare it to another picture and say, this tells the whole story, but it doesn't. Why aren't they showing a picture like this from the New York Times that shows how many police were there 
that were actually guarding the Capitol. Uh, There was eventually heavy police presence at the Capitol building, uh, but there were a lot of very bad decisions uh, that led up to the lack of security that clearly had nothing to do with race. And I will prove that Uh, the D.C. mayor, Mayor Bowser, actually rejected more police help. Uh, A letter to just to the Justice Department uh, that Bowser wrote and then tweeted out said this Metropolitan Police Department are coordinating with its federal partners, namely the U.S. Park Police, U.S. Capitol Police and the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, She also said uh, that 340 of the D.C. National Guard had been activated to address the upcoming protest, but she stood against that. This was before. Uh, Right before all of the the riots and the Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, she said Metropolitan Police Department is trying to get more help. They're trying to call the National Guard. But she said, look, we don't want that. She said the District of Columbia is not requesting other federal law enforcement personnel and discourages any additional deployment without immediate notification to and consultation with MPD if such plans are underway. So she said, you want to send more help because people were expecting pro Protests on January 6th, the mayor of D.C. said, we don't want your help. Uh, And so that was one thing that happened. That was one reason for the lack of security at the Capitol. The Democratic mayor of D.C. said, we don't want and we don't need more help. Also, the FBI and National Guard both offered assistance, reinforcements to Capitol Police on January 3rd, but Capitol Police themselves turned them down. Capitol Police uh, said that they were worried about the optics of active duty or National Guard troops being deployed against Americans, uh, which is what happened in June with Black Lives Matter. And so uh, National Guard and the FBI said, we again, we want to help. We think that there's probably going to be some problems there. There's probably going to be some unrest. So let us have a presence there. And Capitol Police said no. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund uh, was only expecting a peaceful rally, so he rejected more help. Uh, So it doesn't seem like race had a role in this. It seems like really bad leadership had a role in this. Uh, The D.C. City Council passed a measure to limit police force uh, on June 8th after the June 2nd protests and riots. So after Black Lives Matter set fire to the streets and rioted in D.C. over the summer, the District of Columbia decided that uh, the the problem wasn't with that violence, but the problem was actually with the police reaction to uh, the violence. And so they passed a measure to, di- to do what they could to neuter the police. It banned the use of tear gas and chokeholds, which, by the way, as we've talked about on this podcast, as an expert talked to us about on this podcast, that chokeholds, when done properly, actually can save lives, uh, save lives because it stops the use of lethal force to restrain a violent suspect. And so this was a decision that was made very hastily. And that's exactly what the Metropolitan Police Department said in the statement that this measure um, actually uh, harms the police because it it stops them from being able to do their jobs well. But if you want to know why less force was used on these demonstrators and these rioters who were Trump supporters, uh, that more force was used on them than the force used on Black Lives Matter. It's not just because of the bad leadership of the Metropolitan Police Department and Mayor Bowser. Um, It is also because the D.C. City Council said, "Okay, you can't do what you did to Black Lives Matter uh, on June 2nd. Uh, There was also uh, a federal problem here. Democrats, according to the Federalists, blocked a resolution condemning mob violence. Here's what the article says, quote, 
Thursday afternoon, this was a few months ago, Democrats killed a resolution aimed at curbing mob violence. Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, introduced the bill after a man in Utah was mobbed, then shot by a group of rioters. The non-binding resolution offered a statement of support for peaceful protesters and law enforcement who do their job well, while condemning violence and the destruction of monuments across the country. Democrats blocked that resolution. They blocked that measure in Congress. Now they're very angry about mob violence. They didn't care about it a few months ago. They didn't want to do anything in Congress to actually stop it. Now, amidst all of this, eventually, last Tuesday, the police did crack down. Not only were arrests made, but a woman was shot and killed by Capitol Police. A white Air Force veteran was killed by Capitol Police. No one was killed, thankfully, by police in D.C., uh, in the D.C. Black Lives Matter protests or riots over the summer. Uh, The Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, is calling for rioters to be prosecuted. Everyone who assaulted an officer, damaged property, broke into the Capitol with force, uh, who who broke the law, should be prosecuted, again, to the fullest extent of the law. A police officer also died from his injuries. So, So that is tragic. The situation was absolutely terrible. People should be charged. They should be put in jail for the crimes they committed. It's an awful situation. All I'm saying is that we should be consistent. We keep hearing 93% of the Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful last year. Okay, well, 99% of Trump rallies and protests are peaceful. But that's not really the question, is it? No one said that everyone who marched with Black Lives Matter is a criminal. I certainly don't believe that. I will fight for Black Lives Matter's uh, right to peacefully march and protest all they want without fear of brutality or restraint or punishment, whether or not I agree with every part of the premise of their protest. The point should be that the 7% of Black Lives Matter demonstrations and Antifa protests or riots uh, that were not peaceful represent real lives and real livelihoods lost and almost no justice was served for this. The 1% or less of Trump rallies that have turned into violence represent real lives lost and real property damaged and real danger threatened. We can't judge all of Black Lives Matter by that 7%. We can't judge all Trump supporters by what happened either. We also keep hearing that everyone who voted for him is complicit. So is everyone who voted for a Democrat complicit in what's gone on in Democratic cities across the country? Are you complicit? If you voted for a Democrat and they're ripping apart of babies in the womb because you voted for the party that you know supports that, there's a better case to be made that you are complicit in the murder of babies for knowingly voting for that than it is that uh, that blood is on the hands of everyone, the, all the 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump because there were a couple hundred thugs who did something that they shouldn't have done. Um, and so I. All I'm asking for is consistency. I'm not asking for whataboutism. I'm not saying that we should say one is worse and one is not. But what I'm seeing is a whole load of hypocrisy, especially from some people on the right who condemned the left-wing riots but think that this is totally fine. And then from a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people on the left who all of a sudden have a problem with mob violence but haven't had a problem with it for the past few months because they agree with that cause. They agree with with the reason why that violence is happening. We've talked actually about the misinformation and the false premises of the demonstrations, the left-wing demonstrations that happened last year. All I'm asking for is a little bit of consistency. I don't want to hear that this has to do with white supremacy. This has to do with white privilege. Clearly, it doesn't. Uh, The facts don't show that at all. 
all you're doing is looking at decontextualized video versus decontextualized video, comparing those two things and saying, see, this is white supremacy, white nationalism and white privilege. It's clearly not. There are other reasons why there was a lack of security and why what happened last Tuesday happened that have nothing to do with race. And the insistence upon making it about race by our uh, president and vice president-elect is just going to make matters worse. And they're never going to be held accountable for their rhetoric. Why? Because they're Democrats. That's how it works. Um, Okay, now into what we actually do about all of this craziness. Um, Some people are saying that I'm not asking people to do enough, that I'm asking people to sit on their hands and just sit back and watch things happen. You know that that's not true. I wouldn't have this podcast if I thought that that was the case. I wouldn't um, talk about how much I love this country and how much I love liberty and how much I care about the preservation of the Constitution and our republic um, if I thought that the best option was for us to sit back and do nothing. But my emphasis has been on what I call the subtle resistance of radical obedience to God. And what I mean by that is that obeying God is resisting tyranny. Uh, Early Christians faced far greater threats than we are now facing. Christians around the world right now are suffering physical, emotional, spiritual pains that we here in America still cannot even fathom, as we've talked about before, free speech and religious liberty are the exceptions in history, not the rule. And now I think for the sake of all people, we fight for it. We vote for it. We do everything we can to uh, preserve these things. They have been an amazing gift of common grace that uh, God granted to the West and in particular America over the past few centuries. But Listen, and I know this is going to sound crazy to to some people, but for those who trust in the sovereignty of God, you know that this is true. The gospel is not advanced nor hindered by our right to free speech. God does not need policy to display his power. The church is not shrunk or expanded by religious liberty. I know that sounds crazy. Can God use these things as gifts uh, to advance his kingdom? Yes, but he does not need them. God and his will are not deterred uh, one centimeter by the chaos that's going on or, unfortunately, the tyrannical crackdown on free speech that we have seen since then and the possible tyranny that's coming. Uh, Listen to this, Psalm 2, 1 through 6. Why do nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Uh, The Lord is sovereign over our governments. He is not surprised. He's not thrown back. He's not wondering what's going to happen. A lot of people are scared that uh, the chaos that has been waged, not just last week, but over the past few months is going to Uh, end in a whole lot of censorship and tyranny, that it's going to give the soft totalitarians on the left an excuse to try to control even 
uh, even more aspects of our life, that they are going to be more radical than ever in pushing the legislation and policies that they want uh, that will strip away many of our civil liberties. That is the fear. As a reaction to the real chaos and the real crimes that were committed last week, that Democrats, even those that condoned the violence that have been happening for the past few months, are going to say, see, we really need to take control of this. Conservatism is a threat. All 75 million people who voted for Trump are a threat. All speech is somehow an incitement of violence, and they're going to use that as an excuse. They are using that as an excuse to say, we can't hear opposition anymore. This is this the exact kind of tyranny uh, that uh, C.S. Lewis talks about, the tyranny that is exercised supposedly for the good of the populace. That is the most cruel, he argues. And what I'm trying to argue is that obeying God and trusting the sovereign God is resistance to that kind of tyranny. Uh, Psalm 37, 10 through 13 says, in just a little while, the wicked will be No more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. No tyrant, no amount of tyranny is any match for God. And you want to know why tyrants and tyrannical ideologies hate Christians and Christianity so much? as I've said many times on this podcast, because we are a thorn in the side of tyrants simply by refusing to bow down to their idols, refusing to trust in their power, refusing to submit to any rule that opposes God's rules. So what do we do? What do we do in the midst of this? What does this actually look like? We obey God. And I know that's frustrating. That's a frustrating answer for a lot of people, but Hang with me for just one more second. First Peter 1, 3 through 7 and 14 through 16 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So people say, well, that's it. You're just you're just called to do what God has always called Christians to do. You're just called to holiness. You're just called to obedience. You're just called to sober-mindedness. You're just called to boldness. You're just called to loving God and loving your neighbor. There has to be more than that. No, that's it. You just obey God. William Wilberforce was just obeying God when he led the charge against slavery in England. Corrie ten Boom was just obeying God when she was providing refuge for the Jews from Nazis. Bonhoeffer was just obeying God when he was speaking out against Hitler's regime. Mother Teresa was just obeying God when she was advocating on behalf of the poor and oppressed. All these people were doing were loving God and loving their neighbor. They were doing what God has always called Christians to do. They were ceaseless in prayer. They were consistent in their love, their joy, their gratitude, believing, sharing, living out the gospel. All they were doing was being obedient. And to the world, it looked radical. For Christians, it's normal. 
Uh, and it did lead them to what we now regard uh, as acts of history-changing courage. But all they were doing uh, was what Christ has called all of his disciples to do, denying themselves, taking up their cross, and following Christ. And so what do you do? We wake up every morning and we open our Bible, we open our heart, and we pray that God would help us love him and love our neighbor, that we would love God so much that we will do anything he asks of us, that we will be as uncomfortable as God wants us to be, that we will say exactly what he wants us to say, that we will do exactly what he wants us to do, that we will go exactly where he wants us to go. And you know what that might look like some days? That might look like loving your family. That might look like changing diapers with joy. That might look like extending grace to your husband when you don't want to. It may look like working harder and with more integrity than anyone else at your office. It might look like sharing the gospel with your coworker, or it might look like speaking up to your son's school board about the dishonest and and postmodern and counterproductive curriculum that they're learning in school. It might look like setting up a meeting with your pastor and your husband and the elders to talk about the questionable theology that's been coming from the pulpit. It might look like you speaking publicly about an issue that you've been scared to speak about. It might look like you refusing to bend your language to the hyper-political correctness that forces us to bear false witness about God's creation of biological gender. It might look like those things. It might mean that you're no longer nodding along when your friends say things that you know is not good or right and true. It is always unconditionally a refusal to conform to culture and an insistence upon conforming to Christ. It is a refusal to accept tell or tolerate lies. It means fighting for truth in every area of our own lives and becoming absolutely and explicitly resistant to every form of deceit. That means if you hear me say something false on this podcast, if you hear me say something that is not true or misleading, it means that you write me an email and you message me and you tell me why. Now, Do it kindly or else I'm just going to think that you're a troll. Um, But tell me when I say something that isn't true or isn't complete because I am committed along with you not to live by a lie. And Steve Day said something on this podcast last week that really convicted me that there are so many cases where we don't want to know the truth because it makes us uncomfortable. So we won't research it. We won't look into it. For a lot of you, for a lot of people out there who you truly are compassionate and you want to help your friends and you want to be as empathetic as possible, uh, you won't actually look into what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. Or you uh, won't actually look into the numbers, for example, about racialized police brutality. You won't actually look into the facts about claims about systemic racism or critical race theory because you're afraid it's going to put you in opposition to people that you love. Digging into the truth, and I'm not saying that I have all of the answers on either of those things either, but we've talked about them many times. We've dug into them many times. There are things in my own life I don't want to know the truth about because it makes us uncomfortable. I think as Christians who want to conform to Christ, that we are not afraid of the truth, that we commit ourselves to searching for it. And so if I get off path, if I am saying something that is not true, as people who are also committed to not living by lives, I, uh, lies, I want you to tell me. And I want us to talk about this because my promise to you is that I will never intentionally lie to you. That doesn't mean that I haven't made mistakes or that I haven't failed or that I haven't told a story that was incomplete or that I have never let bias cloud uh, something that I say because of course I have. I'm a finite being and I fail, but I pray every day that I would never say something that is not true. Now, some of you listening on the other side of the aisle, you're like, wow, well, you're failing at that every day. Sure. 
to you. And we might we might disagree on some of those things, but that is never my intention. And I want you guys to hold me accountable. And I try to hold you accountable too by doing my best. And again, I fail often because I'm a finite human being who sins, but my, I'm trying my best to tell you that uh, which is true. It will mean refusing to believe in false theology, weighing everything against God's word. And I just want to give this, I'm going to talk about it a little bit tomorrow, and then we'll be done once again, long episode. Um, disinformation divides. And right now when there's so much tech censorship and conservatives and Christians are going to our, you know, alternative forms of social media, you can bet that there are going to be people capitalizing on that, trying to share disinformation, trying to spread conspiracy theories, trying to fear monger. Now, there are things to be concerned about and scared of, sure, but there are people who are going to capitalize on your fear, who are going to tell you that which isn't true. Uh, who gain attention, gain followers, and may even gain money from trying to scare you and whip you up into a frenzy about certain conspiracy theories. My prayer is that, especially as Christians, I can't, you know, I care more about the church than I do about conservatism, that we would be as discerning as possible, that we would be able to distinguish from a conspiracy theory that which isn't true um, and that which is true. And that God would give us a spirit of wisdom. Try not to fall into the rabbit holes. Try to uh, try to distinguish the truth from a lie. And if it's theological, weigh everything against the word of God. It's a very difficult time that we are living in as a country. I think we see even more difficult times on the horizon. But our commitment to truth, our commitment to the truth of God's word, our commitment to having faith in the sovereignty of God, it keeps us sane, it keeps us grounded, and the hope that we have in heaven keeps us joyful. May the world look at the church and say, why are they so happy still? Why are they so joyful? Why are they still loving their neighbor? Why are they still so generous? Why are they still so hospitable? Uh, Why is there still something so free about them even though they're worried about their earthly freedoms, why does there seem to be some kind of internal freedom that is emanating from the church? Why is that? And the answer, of course, is Christ and the gospel. Let that be our testimony. Okay, that's all we've got for today. I will see you back here tomorrow.